I would like to start by introducing myself. Um, my name is Miriam Fancy, um, and I am a AI ethics researcher at the Montreal AI Ethics Institute, as well as a master's of global affairs student. So um, now my slides should be sharing, so that's fantastic. Um, and I'm gonna speak to you today about the governance of ethical AI methodologies to procure low risk AI for public use. And the reasoning of why um, I find this to be such an important topic is because truly um, govern governments have the primary role in determining the limitations of behavior for how public services act with the public. And in the case of artificial intelligence, it's often very difficult to uh, determine the way in which it's gonna behave, especially on a national scale. And if we take Canada as an example with our population being dynamic and diverse as it is, which is an absolutely lovely characteristic that um, I'm very proud um, to have being um, a visitor in Canada, um, but it is important to take into consideration who is um, using these AI systems and therefore uh, what are the harms and risks that these systems would um, pose for these populations. And so before I get started, I wanna just note that the primary stakeholders that we're, we're gonna be talking about today are governments and the public. Governments, as I mentioned, regulate public services and the public utilizes these services. And it's up to the government to control the limitations of these behaviors. And the main concern is that if citizens are unaware of how these AI systems are being deployed, it's difficult for them to have agency over their data and how they're being used in these systems. So as I mentioned before, I'm a final year graduate of the Masters of Global Affairs program. I also did my undergraduate degree at UT in peace, conflict and justice with a double minor in indigenous studies and diaspora and transnational studies. And I would argue that although I do not have like a technical background in the realm of tech, um, I really appreciate uh, how uh, my bachelor's degree as well as my master's degree has been um, helping me understand different nuanced societal thinking of approaching these technologies. Um, for my AI ethics work, um, I'm a researcher at the Montreal AI Ethics Institute in which majority of my work is surrounding regulation and governance of AI, but always with a focus on the human rights um, um, implications of these AI systems. Additionally, at the Center for Law, Technology and Society, I am the research coordinator for the AI and Society Initiative, as well as at the Canadian Commission for UNESCO, I am on the AI Ethics Advisory Group in which we're working with the Secretary of um, CC UNESCO, as well as a series of national AI experts to speak about how AI ethics, um, AI can be used to accomplish the SDGs in Canada. So what is artificial intelligence? How do we define it? Before I go into that, I would like to note that this presentation is meant to be an introduction into how um, AI regulation and governance occurs. Um, I wish I had more time, but I wanna just give you all a framework and an understanding of what role AI plays in our lives. But the reasoning why I chose a definition by an industry partner instead of, let's just say um, a certain community group or, um, um, a governance definition. And that's because we're gonna be talking about how governments are actually procuring AI systems from corporations such as IBM or other startups. So understanding a nuanced uh, definition from an industry perspective is very important. 
And so IBM defines artificial intelligence as any human-like intelligence exhibited by a computer, robot, or other machine. In popular usage, artificial intelligence refers to the ability of a computer or machine to mimic the capabilities of the human mind. So artificial intelligence can be used in so many capacities. Uh, I wanna give three case examples um, in which how it's being used in the public. First is insurance. So artificial intelligence is generally used as a, a prediction model based off of a series of multitudes of data, which I will go, go into later on um, the importance of understanding how data is being accessed and the type of data that is being used. But in regards to public use, oftentimes insurance companies will gather large amounts of consumer data, um, which will lead to an increase in automation for, let's just say, predicting insurance rate, um, understanding who their customer base is, um, and just overall automating the system, which will lead to a high um, income rate for the company. Next is policing and justice systems. So artificial intelligence, unfortunately, is used quite often in these systems. And the reasons why I say unfortunately, because oftentimes they cause um, a lot more harm than benefit if there is any benefit. Um, and that is because uh, artificial intelligence systems often are fed uh, biased data or are used incorrectly against marginalized communities, which um, leads to really discriminatory rulings. And the way in which they're used in policing and justice systems are through risk assessments of, uh, let's just say, um, those who have been charged and predictive policing. So again, that is so dependent upon the way in which data is gathered and scraped and um, who is then uh, utilizing these systems in the policing and justice system. And finally, HR. Um, HR utilizes artificial intelligence systems from rating candidates to reading the languages and reading the language in resumes through machine learning. And oftentimes, uh, depending again upon how these systems are built, uh, the way in which they define successful candidates, um, what the type of language they're looking for to determine who is successful, uh, this leads to discriminatory understandings of the candidate itself and leading to biased decision making. But what's the role of the government in this? Well, the government has a responsibility for creating guiding principles. Um, if any of you in the audience um, know a little bit about um, Canada's regulation for artificial intelligence, which I'll actually demonstrate as a case example today, um, is that uh, governments have the responsibility to uh, really have um, a set of core principles that guide their actions about how they are procuring AI, how they define AI, how um, they understand artificial intelligence systems in public use, um, and then what are the core value systems. Um, and I'll also give this as an example later on. I'm getting giving a lot of um, um, foresight <laughs> into this presentation. But um, Singapore's, um, the Singapore governance system for artificial intelligence referencing their national strategy, they list um, ethics and social good as principal values for their guiding principles of how they approach artificial intelligence, both within the nation when they are building these systems, but also how they procure it from startups or other industries. So defining the use of AI is very important because that definition is going to determine how they automate and how they predict as two um, example cases. Next is um, really the stakeholder industry um, role. And it's generally the government that can define the limitations of behaviors of these two stakeholders. It's 
government approved businesses and how they define um, which agencies are safe um, are developing artificial intelligence systems that have a role in um, the public or in their state or um, defining what is necessary, uh, the government has that uh, capability. And finally, it's accountability. So accountability is a really big mechanism that needs to be emphasized. And the reasoning for that is that um, it's through accountability that issues of risk and safety can um, be at the forefront. Accountability often is tied to um, transparency, but they're two very different methodologies. Transparency will allow us to understand as public citizens who, um, who is building these systems? How are they defining the problem that um, these systems are trying to solve? Uh, where are they gathering the data? And so if the government does not put issues of um, um, transparency and accountability at the forefront, it makes it very difficult to protect the needs and um, the wants of the public, but also the unintended or intended harms. So I slightly went into this previously, but the significance of uh, understanding governance mechanisms for uh, procuring ethical AI um, and low risk AI for public use is that, um, again, we're working with a technology that is very much human dependent. If people end up saying that artificial intelligence takes an objective view uh, for whatever issue they're tackling, it's not correct. Artificial intelligence is built by people. It should be used as a tool, not as a single system um, metric of truth or a single ledger of truth, as our own biases and our own understanding of the world ends up being automated within these systems. So harms, biases, discrimination ends up being put through these systems, but it's up to us to have a human intervention through accountability to really ensure that we can limit the behavior of these systems. Next is public awareness. Oftentimes, um, governments don't place a large significance on public awareness or public literacy on these emerging technologies. And the reasoning why it's so important is because unless the public is aware of what artificial intelligence is, how it's being used with them or against them, or in what services are they accessing that utilizes artificial intelligence, it's gonna be really difficult for public citizens to make a claim for um, whether they've been harmed by these systems. And so I'll speak later on for recommendations about how to um, really maneuver in this space, but consultations are one really incredible way to increase public awareness. And finally, accountability. Are there tools and resources in place to hold the government accountable if harm is caused? And the reason why, again, I'll put a lot of emphasis on this is because it's really difficult to hold large bodies and stakeholders like governments or large corporations accountable if um, harm is caused and also quantifying such harm is really difficult if they don't have access to the data or they don't have access or understanding of what is occurring. And so it's truly working in a system, a cyclical system um, that needs to be put together in order to ensure transparency and accountability. And so those are some reasons why this is such a significant topic. So I wanted to give a case study to speak about how um, AI, in this case um, with the UK government, um, actually procured a very flawed AI system and what were the impacts of it. So there was a case um, that the UK federal government 
um, deployed this flawed AI um, algorithm that disproportionately impacted students who took A-level courses. Um, so students were assigned a grade based on historical data and those discrepancies um, between the teachers assessing them versus the historical data that was put into place wasn't really um, taken into account. And then that led to students' grades uh, being impacted, lowered at times, or increased and inflated to a rate that they shouldn't have been. And so many students were disproportionately affected and it impacted their rates of um, university admissions. And this was a great cause for concern because the algorithm did not properly represent the students that were being accounted for in this AI system. So this was a this is a great case example to demonstrate what I mentioned before. It's people that are building these systems. It's people that are putting forward their biases um, or not properly scraping data or not, not talking to the public before launching such systems. And so um, despite the public and students being outraged from the impact of this flawed algorithm, um, there hasn't been much accountability um, for the students um, who were hurt uh, in the process of utilizing these systems and the UK government hasn't done much to account for the harms um, that were done. And so this, I, again, like this is just a case example demonstrating that if a government, if a government doesn't properly understand the methodologies in order to procure low risk systems and go through an iterative design process um, of understanding the impact of these systems specifically on youth and, and youth are not really spoken about, especially in um, in data scraping or like the impact of marginalized communities are often not gonna be properly shown in the data that's being used for these systems. Um, and when that leads to zero accountability, what are these students left with? Well, they're left with the consequence that they're facing today and that's possibly lower grades, that's possibly not having admission to university um, and that's also not knowing where to go from there. I wanted to follow up with an example by the Canadian government, and that is on the algorithmic impact assessment. So this is through the direct, um, direct on automated decision making. And so the whole purpose of this is that um, they use this impact assessment in order to measure the risk of AI systems before they're deployed. So before um, this go, this slide is happening right before I go into the methodologies of um, certain um, actions that governments should take before procuring um, artificial intelligence. I think this is a really good example of a tool that a government is using to um, understand and measure the impact of artificial intelligence. And I'll just review quickly um, what the um, algorithmic impact assessment actually says. And so it goes over five different pr principles and that's um, understanding and measuring the impact of the use of AI bef um, before deploying it. So um, what has what what developed these systems? What's in the design of these systems? Um, the importance of transparency, as I mentioned before. Who is using this? Um, how? What is the clear use of these uh, systems in the public? Next is providing a meaningful explanation about um, how these um, systems are making decisions. So, what are what are the challenges that these systems are facing when making decisions? And I mentioned before, um, and this is not readily spoken about as much as I would hope, and I'm sure other AI ethics researchers would hope, is that AI shouldn't be the final stop in making decisions, but rather humans should always be in the loop. 
Um, next is be open. Um, as they say, quote unquote, I'm quoting what the government has to say here. These are not my own words, but be as open as we can by sharing source code, training data, and other relevant information. Again, that goes to the previous point that I made of the importance of having um, access to the type of data that they're using to understand inclusivity, understand which biases are taking into place, to understand um, who are they actually accounting for? Is everybody being accounted for? Is that even possible? And if that is not possible, is it safe to actually deploy these systems? And that's why transparency is so important. And the last point is providing sufficient training so that government employees developing and using AI solutions have responsible design, function, and implementation skills. And I'll talk about why this is so important because there is such a large knowledge gap between policymakers and technical experts um, when developing and deploying these systems. And that often leads to um, deploying unethical, flawed AI. Um, but those were those are five um, main principles that have um, developed the uh, algorithmic impact assessment in Canada. Um, it's not perfect, but it's one of the first few iterative designs that I've seen um, of a government really taking uh, procurement um, from an ethical perspective and really trying to make sure that they go through a certain series of steps. So I wanted to talk about a series of methodologies, which is the whole point of today's talk, um, to talk about methodologies for how to procure low risk AI for public use. Um, I want to preface this with a few things first. One, again, this is an introductory talk. This isn't meant to be um, in depth in explaining a step-by-step -step process that um, governments would go through. I tried to put it in a series of logical steps that would make sense, um, but there's a lot more that's coming up and this field is ever evolving. So I wanted to um, say that first. Second, um, I also think that sometimes these methodologies can be industry dependent, um, depending on how they're used in public services. So this is very much a general overview of what I have seen, what I've been trying to research, um, and really uh, how to ensure that um, inclusivity, diversity, and safety is at the forefront. And finally, I think that there is a very big difference between harm and risk. Um, that's a very contentious topic in the AI ethics realm because quantifying harm and risk is quite difficult, but I'll try to my best to go into that today. So first is talking um, about defining the problem and gap that's needed. What's the problem that actually needs to be filled with these AI systems? And the reason why I think that's an important first step is because maybe artificial intelligence doesn't actually have a place there. Maybe it wasn't necessary to deploy AI to fill that gap or that need. Maybe there was another way, another policy or another emerging, emerging technology that could have been be put into place to um, solve or really tackle this um, gap in need. So defining that problem is the first step. Second is a public role and impact. So understanding that, okay, if we have taken into consideration that, okay, that we think that artificial intelligence can fill this gap or this need or, or support it in whatever way that the government sees necessary, understanding who is gonna be involved in accessing these services and then therefore um, feeling the effects of artificial intelligence is really important to lay out at the very beginning. Because um, as I mentioned before, depending on which state and um, this is gonna be deployed in, norms, 
need to be taken into place. Um, governance systems need to be taken into place. And also the demographic of the public needs to be considered. So really what are the sectors that would be adopting this technology and what at what scale would this need to occur? So you can understand the impact of regulating it later on. Next is regulating policies. Are there policies in place to regulate the behavior of these systems? If there's not regulate, regulatory policies, then that is where most governments face a barrier. Um, as I mentioned before, regulation is so necessary in order to ensure that unethical or flawed AI doesn't have the intended or unintended harms to the public that it would do um, if there's not um, frameworks put into place to limit the behavior of these AI systems. So regulating policies um, are very important and really having, having some sort of digital framework from a governance perspective is what needs to be considered here. Next is knowledge mobilization um, from both the policy and the public. So understanding the role that policy can play and what is the level of AI literacy for the public. So once you have understood the gap, once you've understood who is gonna be using these systems and in what sectors are gonna be adopted in, are there policies in place to actually regulate and monitor the AI systems? Um, it's important to understand um, how policy will actually behave um, once the system is deployed. So for, um, foresight uh, design is really important here and UX design. So it are two really important methodologies that need to be taken into place when it comes to knowledge mobilization. And if there is not a certain level of AI literacy, I would argue, and I'm sure other um, major stakeholders in the space would agree that um, the government really needs to invest in hosting public consultations, um, making information on these systems more accessible to increase literacy so that the public can be aware of how their data is being used and what is the role of their agency once these systems are deployed. Next is um, accessible, ethical, and safe data. Data has a really big role in artificial intelligence systems because they truly make up how the predictive design method is uh, model is going to be working. And um, based off of what the algorithm is asking or looking for, um, the data is going to be really filling in that answer. So if the data doesn't represent the population, doesn't represent the sector that is um, uh, being it's being deployed in, you'll face a situation like the UK did where it's using historical data that wasn't inclusive at all and actually led to a series of, I would argue, generational consequences. And so really defining uh, what the data is, what were the data scraping methods, where is it being sourced from are really important. And um, I, I would say that's uh, one, one of the many steps where uh, bias and discrimination can come into play and it actually could happen in, in any of the steps that I've mentioned um, on this slide. Next is mapping unintended and intended um, harms and risks. Who's gonna be harmed? What are the risks? Um, is, is the industry at risk? Is uh, the industry able to support the use of these systems? Um, a pre-acquisition review is really necessary. And I learned about pre-acquisition reviews from AI Now. They have a really great paper about this. And if I, I'll, I'll try my best to do a short summary about it, but essentially what it's asking is that um, if a pre-acquisition review is gonna be asking whether the, um, 
industry or the corporation or the startup, whatever the case is, um, that the government is actually procuring the artificial intelligence from, have they mapped out um, what their intended harms are or have they mapped out the potential risks? And so uh, I, would, I would hope that a pre-acquisition review would happen much sooner than this, but I would also think that at this stage in which the slide is at um, is when um, governments would be thinking about which uh, corporation they want to uh, procure the artificial intelligence from. But a pre-acquisition review will definitely source um, some of the questions about intended and unintended harms, but it's really important, which I didn't write on the slide, but I, I'm saying it now, um, is a, a risk assessment is made. Um, and so by hosting that risk assessment, um, I would hope that if uh, it's demonstrated that there are substantially more risks than there are benefits, that the whoever is in charge of procuring the system would actually start at the very beginning and seeing if maybe they got a step wrong or maybe they're really not looking at the problem from the right perspective. Um, but risk assessments are so important because not most governments, most corporations, um, even universities who are using these uh, systems or whatever stakeholder are not doing a risk assessment. And that's when we land at the UK government ca um, case study. Diverse team and diverse options. So the team that's deploying the AI system should be diverse and there should be diversity in the companies that these uh, governments are looking for. Um, by really narrowing down on a certain set of uh, companies, you're limiting um, how these uh, problems are gonna be approached. You're limiting um, the understanding of the impacts of these AI systems. And so diversity at every level is so important, but it's really important that there's a diversity in both thought um, in the type of people that are being included in the deployment of these systems. So I mentioned this earlier, but there's a big knowledge gap between um, policy experts and uh, technical experts. And so um, ensuring that both, both types of individuals are on these teams is really important. And there's a diversity in the types of industries um, that they're procuring their AI from. Next, accountability mechanisms. Okay, so I did, I did go into this more so. Um, and that's on risk assessment framework. So accountability isn't accomplished through risk assessment, but through risk assessment, we can understand um, who will be looking for accountability, if that makes sense. And accountability mechanisms, um, I would say risk assessment is a tool that can be used in the process of figuring out how to create accountability, but really, is, is there gonna be a system in place that can support the public if they are facing the harms and risks from these AI systems? Um, is there a way if, for example, if they're financially or socially um, um, damaged uh, or, or facing these harms, um, is there a way that they can be reimbursed or um, they can just like take up their, their consequences with someone? Um, and if there's not accountability mechanisms put into place, again, referencing the UK study, you're gonna have the case of the students who didn't know where to turn to um, really um, facing the short end of the stick. So accountability is so important and I don't wanna go too deep into it because that could be a whole talk on its own, but I really implore all of you to look into the importance of accountability. Finally, it's the second last step, sorry, is procurement and ethical, um, procurement from an ethical and transparent um, standpoint. So. Uh, like I mentioned before, guiding principles on 
um, what is ethical and what is transparent in ensuring that norms of transparency are seen from both sides, both the government and from the organization or stakeholder that they're procuring the artificial intelligence from. Because if it's viewed on one side, just because the government may be valuing transparency, that doesn't mean that um, the organization that they're procuring the system from does. And um, if certain regulations or methodologies are not taken into place, that is how harm is gonna occur. So ensuring that both sides have norms of transparency um, what is considered as ethical AI is heard from both sides. And if those definitions and guiding frameworks and principles are not involved in the design of these systems, I would really hope that the government would start at the very beginning and look again to see what are some other options of who they can procure these AI systems from. Next is public support, uh, consultations and knowledge. And I'll talk about this in the next slide, but this shouldn't be the final step. Um, it's really important to include the public at all stages. And again, this is not um, a step-by-step -step, uh, guide on how governance for AI should work, but these are really important methodologies that I think should be taken into account. Um, so public support, consultation, and knowledge, which we'll talk about in the next stage. But again, I do wanna say that this is an iterative process of procurement. Um, iteration is so important to understand and to really take into fact that um, at the first step, it's not gonna be done properly um, because we really need to map out what the consequences are, what are the benefits, what are the harms, what are the risks, how is it designed, where the data is coming from, asking these questions are so important. And if they're not properly taken into account um, with equal weight, we're gonna face um, negative consequences and we're gonna be deploying um, unethical AI and flawed AI. So next I'll go into how to protect the public. Public consultations are so important. And the reason why I say this is because um, the government, although is representing the public, might not always know what the public wants. Um, taking a human-centered approach to governance is so important and a user-centric approach is so important that um, the only ways, one of the only ways to do that is by including the public, which seems obvious, but isn't really done. Um, so concerns regarding AI automation, discrimination, or access need to be heard. Um, again, this is this needs to be done in the pre-acquisition review. Um, really, I would say this should be done at the first step of when they're defining the problem and seeing um, what, the, what the public thinks at every stage. Next is investment in education. Access and knowledge on AI and the role it plays is so important in public awareness. Um, I would say that if the public doesn't have an understanding of what artificial intelligence is and what the impact it can be, it's going to be really difficult for the public to have a footing and to understand how um, either their identity or their data is being used in these systems. So really ensuring that there is um, accessible access to education for the public to know how to, um, how to act in society or how to understand their role um, when these AI systems are being deployed. Um, next is a knowledge and communication gap. There's a really large knowledge gap between technical experts and policy experts. And this leads to, again, I'll reference the UK case study. Um, it's clear that um, the governance methodology there did not review um, discriminatory 
uh, or the impacts of discriminatory algorithms, um, did not probably review what was being taken into consider of those algorithms. How was that algorithm being designed? And that's because oftentimes um, policy experts don't have this technical knowledge, but technical experts do. But technical experts are not often seen or heard in um, policy realms. And so bridging um, the knowledge and communication gap between these two stakeholders is so important to ensure that the needs and um, the concerns from the public are heard and are taken into account at every um, iterative level of design for governance methodologies. I just wanted to quickly reference, because I know I'm hitting 30 minutes, um, quick, uh, quickly reference two other frameworks that um, I would suggest everybody here um, take a look at, and that's the OECD framework on AI principles, as well as um, the Sa Singapore governance model for their national AI strategy. Although the Singapore government um, uh, national AI strategy, again, like I wouldn't say any governance strategy is perfect or um, like is a, it's one that should be seen in every single government. But um, I do think it's a really interesting framework because they list AI ethics and social good as some um, some guiding principles at the very beginning. And um, it's, it's a really interesting model. So I would suggest everybody here take a look at those frameworks. Um, and that's all that I have for you today. Thank you.